Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome everyone to this exciting episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. It's exciting because we're going to be talking about AI. A lot of you have heard about AI, but we're going to talk about what to fear, what not to fear. So we brought in an expert, Brian Dubois, who is from an organization called Rovacis. He is the director of industrial AI, so he really understands this stuff. Lou and I are going to have a great time chatting with him. Brian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. So Brian, give us a little idea about, let's let's start where everybody starts. I'm terrified of AI. Should you be afraid? <laughs> you should not be afraid. You shouldn't. Um, AI is, in a lot of ways, particularly in this industrial manufacturing space, which is what we'll be focused on today, um, you know, AI very much is just the evolution, um, kind of the natural progression of of the, you know, of control strategy, if you if you go back to things like pneumatics, and then on to um, uh, PLCs and controllers and ladder logic and, and a ton, um, uh, you know, automation, um, you know, the autonomous AI that we're moving towards um, is very much a, a evolution of that. Um, while it's, it's very important, and I think it's, it's, it's a landmark in our ability to progress manufacturing. Um, certainly nothing to be afraid of. And we can we can dig into all the reasons why. <laughs> okay. Lou, you had an interesting conversation with Brian, both pre-show and, and in a kind of a pre-show interview. So I know you've got some burning questions on this particular topic. Well, yeah. Uh, regarding smart, uh, smart factories and transforming the manufacturing industries, to a data and AI uh, format. I mean, it's such a you know, simple sentence, but yet it's such a complex um, environment to have a discussion. Um, we've come a long way already with AI. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we did have HAL, the corrupt computer. <laughs> Uh, in uh, Space Odyssey 2000 for those young younger audience people who don't know what that's all about. Uh, and Hal, by the way, spells IBM. And that was probably, I don't know if they used IBM in a lawsuit name or Hal. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but give us, give us a little bit more insight into directly how uh, AI and data and all of that is affecting uh, manufacturing. Yeah, and I think to answer that, we kind of have to rewind and dig a little bit into kind of what Rovasys does. So Rovasys has been around since 1989. We're a system integrator. Um, and so we uh, have been integrating data from for manufacturers for a, a long, long time. I've been with Rovasys um, since uh, the early 2000s, so uh, over 20 years. And so my whole career has been working with data. Um, I remember you know, early in my career when smart manufacturing was the, you know, the new hype word and everyone was excited about smart manufacturing. Um, and so this progression of getting more and more data and, and doing something interesting with that data from the plant floor, again, is not a new concept. It's been, we've been doing it um, for, for a long, long time. It's just that what's interesting now, and I've got a pretty good perspective on this, you know, with my 20 year arc in the industry, what's interesting now is that, 
you know, when I started, the typical piece of equipment might be able to give you 10 or 20, you know, pieces of data. Now everything on the plant floor is smart. Every piece of equipment can give you, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of data points about how it's operating and things like that. And so now we've got just these huge volumes of data coming up from the plant floor. And so it was a natural progression for our industry to, to finally start looking at adopting AI, because one of the things about AI is that it needs you know, typically needs large volumes of data. Um, now, what's interesting about that is that it needs large volumes of clean correlated data, and that typically does not describe the plant floor. Um, the plant floor, typically the data is very isolated. There's a lot of data silos, um, and the data is not clean. You have sensors go bad and you, you know, so you start getting um, bad readings, you get readings that drift over time. Um, you get, you get a lot of um, dirty data, you get gaps in the data. And so, you know, these AI algorithms were designed in the IT space where data is plentiful and it's typically very regular and they don't have those types of problems. So one of the interesting challenges with data in particular has been trying to get the data in a format that these AI algorithms can actually consume. We had a situation years ago with regards to internet and data that we were collecting for uh, my my primary business, which is uh, uh, All Metals and Forge Group and Manufacturing Talk Radio and Manufacturing Outlook, our e-zine, that we were getting so much data from some of these uh, apps that we finally, at this time, this is about 10 years ago, we had to say, stop. Mm. I don't want I don't want any more data. Mm -hmm. All it is is a number, a number, a number, mm -hmm. a number. It's not cohesive. It's not telling us what the data means. So what good is data if it doesn't say, oh, this means that and that means this and these two things mean that? That's the difference of where we are at now. And I don't have to tell you, but you need to tell our audience. Yeah. And so that's the, you're exactly right. That's the difference between data and actionable information. And ultimately that's what we want to get to is actionable information. And, and what, whether that is a KPI or a dashboard or AI, you know, one of the things that I tell our clients, um, you know, when they're early on and they're starting to look into AI is that, you know, I, I tell them that until somebody on the plant floor, an operator, a supervisor is taking action based on the prediction of AI or the recommendation of AI, um, you haven't seen any ROI, none. So it's, it's not until that action is taken um, that you're going to start to see the ROI. Everything before that is a giant science experiment um, to get to that point. And so um, part of that challenge then besides actionable information is actually building trust in AI. And so there's this whole aspect of organizational change management, um, where if you don't have operators buy-in and they don't actually believe this AI over their decade of experience, you know, their, their senses, their, their ears and their nose and their eyes, and those, you know, those senses of that they've developed of, of operating this line until they believe that the AI, they trust that AI to make those decisions. Again, you're not seeing any ROI. And so that's really ultimately where we're trying to get to is better actionable information. Um, to your point about stop with all the data, I've got a lot of customers that are saying that same thing. And so one of the one of the strategies that Rovisys uses is that we always do use cases first. So we start with use cases. We say, what are you actually trying to solve here? What are the pain points? And then we work backwards from there and say, okay, what data do we need to actually solve that use case? Because I can give you more data. I mean, the plant floor can overwhelm typical IT systems. I can give you more data than you would know what to do with. 
and there's really no shortage. There's no limit to the amount of data that we can give you. But unless it's actually working towards a use case or working towards a, a cause that you're trying to solve, um, then it's just it's you're you know, and you're paying for all that storage of that data. So it's it's not really benefiting you in a, in any way. One of the things that uh, I've been picking up on, and, and you're, you hit, hit the nail on the head with um, uh, data usage, uh, what what is it you're trying to solve? The problem is that you know there's so much so much in in the way of uh, information coming out as you've been already doing. What's what's the end goal? What am I trying to accomplish? So one of the things, just for our, the sake of our listeners, uh, it's not about AI. It's about uh, cost cutting. It's mm -hmm. cost management. It's um, um, improvement in production it's uh, quality quality product quality control uh it's and, and many more uh that's the goal exactly ai that's going to give you that information so if somebody in, within our organization well lou how are we going to get a better quality using ai i don't know you know right <laughs> i don't know that all i'm telling you is i want a better product I want to make a better uh, uh, customer experience. I want to make a better vendor experience. That's right. Yeah. And, and so when I sit down and again, I, you know, I've got a lot of clients, manufacturing is typically a little bit behind the curve in, in adopting new technology. So they're just now in a lot of cases, kind of dipping their toe into this AI space. And when I sit down with clients, they're oftentimes surprised to hear exactly that, that the types of problems that we're trying to solve are the same ones that we've been trying to solve in the manufacturing space for 30 or 40 years, right? We want to increase quality. We want to reduce costs. We want to increase yield. We want to reduce scrap. Um, you know, we want, we want to be able to produce faster, higher quality, um, um, you know, at lower cost. And none of those things have really changed. But to your point, AI can, in some cases, in certain cases, can actually um, reach those goals better. And it, But again, it's it's an incremental step. It's the next step in this evolution uh, that we've been working on. You know, one of the things that we're in right now and people will talk about, it's, an, it's another hype word, but it's this industry 4.0, right? And so we're supposedly in the fourth industrial revolution of industry. And, and you know, you can look up what the, the first three were, but we are in the middle of the fourth one. And so the question will become... You can't really tell when you're in the middle of it, but the question will become when we look back, what was the fourth industrial revolution working towards? And I do believe that it was working towards an AI future. I think that all of this data that we're collecting and that we've been collecting over the last two decades, I do believe that all of this data is probably working towards leveraging it um, via AI. Um, and again, when we when we talk about autonomous AI and its ability to not just make a prediction, but to be able to, to take an action, to be able to either recommend or take an action itself um, on what's the next best thing to do in the plant, that effectively is what that's what our customer, my customers have been wanting for all this time. This is that's what they think that AI can do. And that's ultimately the promise of AI is not just to make a prediction, but to actually take an action um, in the in the facility. You mean like make a judgment? <laughs> well, <laughs> so again, it's limited in the scope of what it can do. So it's 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 making a judgment in that it's saying, you know, it can do things, really interesting things like 
I can make this today or I can make this tomorrow and making that trade off, you know, those competing kind of goals. That's one of the things that autonomous AI can do. Um, And that's something that we typically have a human being in the loop for. Um, It's not ultimately saying I can, you know, I can do this and it would have some impact on this human being or anything like that. It's more making decisions based on um, the scope of the, of what it, you know, what we built it to decide on. And that's typically things that impact the line. So I'd like to just uh, take a sidestep and, and pick up on another topic uh, as it's related to this. Uh, I think the the August figure for manufacturing jobs open that are still that are unfilled is five hundred and fifty five thousand open manufacturing jobs. There's twelve and a half million manufacturers. A byproduct of AI or ASI or AISDI, <laughs> um, what's that going to do to the work population? Yeah. Are we going to lose people? The answer is yes. But what? where are these people going to go to get work, to get money, to get compensation? Are we going to have universal compensation? Or is there going to be new somethings that we're making, you know, like we evolved from the horseshoe to the floorboards in a Model T Ford? Uh, what, what is that going to do? How is that going to, or is this just a myth that we're not really going to lose people or jobs? Yeah. So, you know, that was was a question. Yeah. (laughs) I I think we should attack this head on. And, you know, with, with the title that I have director of industrial AI, it's, you know, my wife and I will be at dinner parties. And this is one of the first questions I oftentimes ask or get asked is, you know, are you putting people out of work? So let's just address that head on. I think you, you hit the nail on the head right there. August numbers, half a million unfilled jobs in the manufacturing space. And that is consistent with what I'm hearing from my clients. What I'm hearing is not, hey, I've got this, you know, this high labor bill and I need to shed people. What I'm hearing is, is I can't find anyone who wants to learn how to do these things. I was at a vinyl manufacturer. They do vinyl extrusion and the plant, I'm sitting down with a plant manager and we're talking about applying autonomous AI to this vinyl line. And he said, I've got two people who are, uh, the best have been over a decade working this line and they are the best in the industry. Nobody else can run a line, a vinyl extrusion line as well as they can. And they are both about five years from retirement. And he's like, I don't have anyone behind them. I don't have a bench. I've got a bunch of one and two year people. He's got extremely high turnover in this, in this space. And they don't want to stick around. They don't want to stick around for a decade and become experts at operating this line. So for him, while there was financial justification for rolling out this autonomous AI, for him, it was almost existential. He said, I've got to have this. I can't run the line as well as I run it today if I lose my best experts. And that I keep hearing over and over again. So so it's not that that they're trying to you know reduce workforce. They just don't have enough people um, that want to do this anymore. And so from that standpoint, capturing that expertise from those subject matter experts um, and and you know, building it into this autonomous AI so it can make better decisions is a key aspect of what we're trying to do. Now, to your other point, though, um, we want to move people into higher value jobs. Um, The reality of it is, is that, you know, some of these jobs on the line, they're just, you know, these operator operator jobs, they're not that rewarding. I mean, they're really not. And so we want to move them into higher value 
uh, jobs within the facility. Um, and the classic example, you know, that comes up over and over again is, you know, elevator operator, um, street lamp lighter. These were actual jobs that existed in the past, and nobody is lamenting the loss of elevator operators. So there, there may be growing pains and things like that, but we're going to find as a society, we're going to find more and higher value jobs for these, these folks to do. And, and I, I am confident in that. So this is, this is the natural progression of, of how these things go. So that elevator operator probably never thought that he was going to be replaced by a button. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's the same thing we have now. This, uh, this gentleman who's operating the line, he's got five years to go, and more than likely, the manufacturer has now been looking for people to fill, backfill the aging and unskilled people that he's mm -hmm. got, and he's going to have what I had over a couple of months ago, where we were looking to bring in additional salespeople, and we used a couple of the online uh, products that are available to uh, get resumes and so on and so forth. And we had, I don't know, something like 50 or 60 resumes. We wound up going through the process of screening them. We had seven that we um, decided that, uh, the oh, these, these are good. These are good. Let's uh, make appointments. We did. We made appointments. Seven no-shows. Yeah. Jeez. Seven no shows. Yeah, you still don't have those additional salespeople, and that's a sales. That's a white collar job, right? I mean, that's yeah. not even you're going to go and work in a loud, sometimes dirty facility. You know, on the line doing monotonous work. I mean, at least Correct. that's an interesting white collar job. Yeah, and and you can't even find people to fill that. And this, we're talking about high paying jobs, right? Right. Well, it's interesting. Seventy years ago, there were other than at the R and D facilities, there were no manufacturing jobs for information technology mm. today that's all they're looking for <laughs> desperate yeah. to find people yes i also did a study on that because this comes up often you know are we going to displace people and they won't have a place to work so in that same time frame 60 70 years ago the population of the united states was around 150 million today it's double that Today, we have 156 million people working. So we've we've created lots of new jobs right. over time. Right. So I, I, to your point, Brian, I don't think jobs are going away. They'll just be different. They'll be different. They'll be different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell that guy, tell that to the guy who's working on the line and he's 50 years old. What is he going to do? And they have, and that is a, that's the big challenge because what really happens is the younger generation comes in and takes those different jobs and the old guys get retired out. Well, and they do, but I mean, most of those folks are, are looking to retire, but you know, one of the things that, that I really appreciate, <laughs> one of those things that I really appreciate is the experience that those folks, that, like those two um, vinyl, um, you know, extrusion operators that I was talking about. Um, we love sitting down with them. So what we want to do is, is you know, and and one of the myths is that we hear sometimes is that well, when you go into these places, don't you get a lot of pushback from those folks who are close to retirement? You know, they're they're seeing this as replacing them or whatever. It's the exact opposite. Here's the example I I typically tell the story I tell is we had a um, pipeline 
Um, so they, you know, they, they don't make anything. They just move material, you know, uh, oil and gas through a pipeline and that we had, um, a project to, uh, pipeline scheduling is actually a really difficult job. It's a really intricate, very difficult thing to do. It's an art more than a science. And we had a project to, to build an AI production scheduler, pipeline scheduler. And so we sat down with their best guy. Now he was, again, I mean, he was months away from retirement and for him, he saw this as his legacy. He was so excited to talk to us. And he was so excited because who else in his life is going to be that interested in talking to him about this thing that he spent his whole life becoming the best at? And he probably was the best at. Maybe there's maybe three or to five people in the world who could schedule pipelines. And he was one of the best. And we sat down with him and we said, tell us how you got so good at scheduling these pipelines. And then we extracted that information and built it into the AI because he was leaving. He was done. So this was his legacy. And he was so excited. And we see that again and again, where these folks are excited to sit down with us and talk to us about who else are they going to talk to about this? They go to the bar after work. Their buddies don't want to hear anything about this. They go home. Their wife definitely doesn't want to hear anything about this. <laughs> so th we're the only ones who are sitting down with humility and saying, teach us how how you got so good at this and then we're able to build that into the ai when are you and i sitting down brian let's do it <laughs> i got 50 years of uh stuff up here yeah yeah let's do it <laughs> okay as we uh kind of approach the end of our episode here brian i just want to get you to kind of sum up where ai is going what's the outlook we've concluded don't fear it how should we embrace it yeah, so I see two kind of parallel paths that are happening right now. So the autonomous AI that I've been talking about um, is built on what's called deep reinforcement learning. Came out in 2016. It came out of DeepMind, which was a Google spinoff. Uh, it was originally used, if you Google it, you'll find that, that it was used to play a lot of games. It was used to play Go, it was used to play chess. Um, and then it started to make its way into industrial applications. Um, so that's autonomous AI. It's really there to solve operational types of problems. Okay, so um, what What's the best next operational step that I can take based on the current state of the uh, of the plant? Um, so I see that happening uh, on one side. The other side is the generative AI. So that's the chat GPT, the LLM. That's really solving what I see as knowledge problems. So that's taking existing knowledge, extrapolating from it. Um, it's um, answering questions and, and leveraging large bodies of knowledge and being able to answer those questions in a way that's easy for humans to consume. So, and they're, inter they're related, um, they're not completely separate, but I see those as the two parallel paths right now, solving operational problems with AI and solving kind of knowledge problems with AI. And I think that both of those are the things to keep an eye on. I think that both are advancing very rapidly, and I think both are going to make a huge impact in that manufacturing and industrial space. I want to point out to our viewers and listeners that Brian is going to do an article for our free monthly digital easing called Manufacturing Outlook on this very subject. And I think, Brian, those those two elements uh, and the outlook for them, it would be terrific. We look forward to the article. And we appreciate you being here with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lou. Thank you. And I just want to make one comment to our listeners and viewers. If you like the show, hit the like button. If you want to make a comment or ask a question, hit the comment button. And better yet, being this is now our 796th show, if you would like to subscribe and know when the next show is coming up, hit the subscribe button. And, uh, you know, we, we love what we do. 
We think we're making a contribution. We'd like to hear from you if we have made a contribution for you. Tell us about it. It would only make us really feel good. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please like and subscribe, share on social media, or leave a review. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Rumble, or your favorite podcast app. Visit us online at mfgtalkradio.com for our other episodes. We have also included links to our advertisers below. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.